Well, today, I just want to let you know, this is not going to come across very preachy. I'm going to try to stay behind this podium because we have a lot to move through. It's going to feel a little bit more like a class because you're going to get a bunch of information. So pull out your sermon notes, write this stuff down. This is really good stuff, and it is very, very important. So I don't have, uh, if any jokes come out today, it's just a movement of the Spirit. I have no scripted funny things at all. So I just want to set the tone for uber sobriety during this message. All right, well, let's move through. Last week, we talked about a successful family. We're in Colossians 3, 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And we talked about the idea of a successful family because these first three verses, 18, 19, and 20, speak to husbands, speaks to wives, and speaks to children. That's pretty much a slam dunk. We talked about the challenge of how do roles affect controls. You could even reverse that and say, how does control affect your role? And as my prayer was specific more towards myself, I think it's, it truly is for all of us today to wrestle with what is God's role for me in a generic sense. Number one, as a believer, or maybe you fit into one of these categories. Maybe you're a husband, maybe you're a wife, maybe you're a child, maybe you're going to be an employer, maybe you're an employee, uh, maybe you're a father. All of this is speaking to how do we live in a community that is Christ-centered with unity? How do we succeed? And God has laid out a plan, a beautiful plan, that if we follow that plan, it's just like He said to Cain. If you do what is right, Cain, will it not go well for you? And so this is going to be some good stuff. It's going to be challenging. We're going to continue off of where we were last week. Uh, You know, I threw that up there and and it did not fail to disappoint during the Warriors game um, on Thursday night. My wife, the master of the remote, and she did a splendid job. Did a splendid job with the DVR and fast forwarding and going back and reviewing fouls and all those things. So we have determined that it is her role because it is her spiritual giftedness to control the remote control. Moving on. We talked about a successful family and and how that fits with, oh, your sister's giving her a shout out. I see it runs in the family. That's great. (laughs) Good luck, Alan. A successful family, we gave you a little bit of an image. This may connect for some. It may not connect for others. And it made my family go out and research, when are they going to do the second one? But we love The Incredibles. Absolutely love The Incredibles because it's not a movie that's made necessarily for kids. It's all about the dynamics of the American family. Maybe not even just the American family. And see, the problem is is that everybody in this family is dysfunctional because they're not fulfilling their roles. (coughs) Excuse me. They have allowed other things to creep in and infect them, and they're all miserable. There's something to learn from that, my friends, is that there are families all around us. There are employees. There are bosses. There are people all around us that are miserable. And I think... Paul connected with something here deeply. That when we fit into that role and we're satisfied with that role and we wear it proudly and we really try to exceed at that role that God's given us, there's a sweetness and there's a peace and there's a sense of success. So we're going to break that down a little bit differently today because we're halfway through the passage. 
Now, this was where we were last week. We're going to do a quick review because I gave you a teaser last week. Hopefully some of you remember. Colossians 3, 18 through 20. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So this was our, our focal point last week. So we broke it down. We'll do it again in, in about 10 minutes when we get to the next part, when we're done reviewing and, and giving you the, the, uh, the things that you were waiting for, you were anticipating, you were excited about returning and hearing about Aquila and Priscilla. But we broke it down according to precept, and then we broke those precepts down to how they apply to people. To help us understand what is the precept and what is the people. Does anybody remember what we said for wives. Now we see it up there. It says wives submit. Now I didn't use the same word. Uh, uh, did you notice that last week? I didn't use the same word. But in essence what I did is I took what Paul is trying to communicate. That has been changed around a little bit in our modern day language. And try to get you back conceptually to what he's asking us to do. What is God asking us to do? Does anybody remember what word I use for wives? Support. Now let me tell you why I went there. Because there's a cohesiveness between this passage and the Ephesians 5 passage. And when we get to the end of these passages, there is another little caveat. We're not there yet in Colossians. You'll see it. And in Ephesians, it says again about men loving their wives and sacrificing for them. And then it says, wives, respect your husband. Respect your husband. So that helps shape a little bit more this context of how that role of the wife works in this relationship according to God. Is that it is an idea of support. Now, I got some feedback last week that we want specifics. Pastor Jeremy, tell me specifically what I'm supposed to do. Well, I, I had some individuals come to me and say, look, barefoot and pregnant is a great idea and in the kitchen. That was for the men. Yeah, you see what I did there? Yeah, I saw some knuckles going white there for a second. <laughs> no, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that, that the concept, if you want a specific, here you go, wives. You ready? If you're going to fit in this role, does, here's your litmus test. Does your man feel like a king? Does he feel, not a, not a dictator, but do you make him feel like a king? That's the imagery, all right? Um, I, I can't get down in the weeds because everybody's got different circumstances, but I can give you that concept. Now, a lot of you women are saying, can you please get to the next point quickly? <laughs> so I will. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. All right, fine. Most of you men look really good today. Most of you. No, all of you look really, really good. Rich, you're a fine-looking man right there. And I'm going to bet, I'm, not that I'm a betting man, but if I were, I'd go to Vegas on these odds that you showered this morning. So I'm a winner right there. I'm a winner. And you look like you took care of your hair. You shaved really well. The man's just looking good. Now, I do not want you to get confused with this, but Paul uses this illustration in Ephesians. He says, you want to know what it looks like to love sacrificially. Men, 
Anytime you want to serve yourself, I'm borrowing from Paul here. Anytime you want to serve yourself. And probably the best way for me to equivocate this is, is the idea of when I'm hungry. When I'm hungry, I could star in one of those Snickers commercials. I'll just tell you straight up. And my family knows, get out of his way, throw him something. If it's one of the dog's bones, throw him a bone, whatever. Just give him something to snack on until we can get that man fed. That's probably the best way for me to know how to love my wife. Is it in that moment where all I can think about is myself. To put her as the priority. To serve her. To make her feel so loved that she knows that I'm putting her above myself. Does that make sense, men? That's and listen, men, you do that for your, for your gals, and they're going to respect you. That's one of the ways you know that you're doing a good job, is you'll see a reciprocation. And women, when your men treat you this way, support them. Recognize that they're a king in their house. Does that help you? Children, we talked about obeying your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This this idea of being a conqueror. I mean, that was a little bit different, right? Being a conqueror. How does that work? It's this idea of not just obeying, but honoring and obeying. You are tempted every day to live your independence. Every, it's even harder for teenagers. How many of you remember being a teenager? Okay. Most people under the age of 30 raise their hands. It's not easy. And our society hasn't made it easy on them, have we? Because we have said, we're going to delay your, your escorting, your, your um, coronation day into adulthood. And as a matter of fact, we're going to kind of just blur that out. We don't know exactly when that happens. We're just going to say it's somewhere between 20 and 53. Right? That somewhere in there... Somebody may require you to be an adult or say, yes, you are an adult. You can, and how many of you kids love this one? Oh, you want to make that decision? Fine, you start paying... What? Rent. Okay, I thought somebody was like cable bill or something. <laughs> That's a great idea too. But, but the idea is this, is that we don't let them grow up. Do you realize that somebody that was the age of Jericho, age 16, that was an adult in our country 100 years ago, 80 years ago. That was an adult. And yet we have delayed their allowance to be independent. That's why it's so hard. And if you want to understand the difficulty for this commandment, it's an issue of the temptation to make independent decisions when you're not allowed to. Here's the clue. The reason I, I nominalized this and said it's the idea of, of conquering over temptation is because we can relate as adults, whether we're teenagers or not. Think about any authority over you. Think about the passage you're hearing today. Much of what you're going to hear, you don't want to follow. So what will we do? Will we choose to do our own thing or will we choose to follow him? So this is the challenge. This is the challenge for all of us. But when we do this the way God has instructed, guess what? 
there's peace, there's success, there's unity. There's exactly what God had put together. Now the question for us is, so do those roles demean the person? We're going to get to that. We're going to break it down. Let me use an example of the greatest marriage that I, I can find in the New Testament. Can you name a marriage in the New Testament? I, I don't know that I could think of another marriage in the New Testament that we can look at. Here's the example. Here's these people. They're married. Let's look at this. Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila. Sounds like a, uh, a dance group from like Naples, Italy or something, right? That these two are, are, are some kind of a team. These are the verses, these are the six verses throughout the entire New Testament on this couple. What a unique couple. What a fascinating couple. Now, they never wrote a stitch of Scripture. Everything that's written about them was written by Luke or was written by Paul. But this is the New Testament's first couple. And when we look at the things that they've done in their lives, you can look at this in the notes and we're going to go through them, all right? So, by the way, I want you to notice something. That when it comes to this idea of roles and culture, and we're going to get into that just a little bit here, and how that affects Paul's writings that somewhat are, are difficult on, on this subject. Who do you think should be, and, and I'm going to let my Egyptian community answer this, because they're probably going to understand it a little bit more than, than those who are non-Egyptian. When you address a couple, which name do you normally recognize first culturally? Philip? The man. Yet, four out of six times, the great misogynist, Paul, writes Priscilla and Aquila. Now, based off of that, we can say that Paul was an egalitarian, can't we? That he was all about women serving in any role, capacity, leadership. No. This is where you you go off the map with a spurious argument. All it says is Priscilla and Aquila. We have no idea why he wrote what he wrote. But what we can see is he broke cultural norms. What we can see is he didn't recognize just Aquila, did he? And what we can see is he gave emphasis to Priscilla, which sometimes he writes Prisca. He valued both of them deeply. That's something to put in your little notation in your Bible when it comes to this area of roles. That even the person who's accused of being the worst misogynist in scriptures, you look at this couple, and what does he do? He breaks all cultural norms and highlights, emphasizes the woman four out of six times. All right, let's move on, because that's just a little thing to, to wonder about. So let's look at this wonderful couple, right? God's tools for success. The church model for marriage, Priscilla and Aquila. Number one, they actually spent time teaching. They spent time teaching. And we'll talk about the significance of this. What I want you to see, we'll get to here at the end, about all, you know, all these things that I've, I've put up here, these six comments. But there's a significance to how we practice how we run our church and how churches factor in roles. So number one, they, they spent time teaching. And, and the Acts 18.26 is about the fact that Apollos was a very well, very, very astute individual that came from Alexandria. 
All right? I don't know if the, the Egyptian community knew that, that Apollos is from your people. Maybe he was just residing there temporarily. I don't know. But he came from Alexandria, and he starts in Corinth, and he's preaching great things. And he says he's very astute. But Priscilla and Aquila take him aside because he needed deeper teaching on the things of Christ. So they're actually correcting this gentleman and teaching him so that he may understand in greater essence. So that what? His role as an evangelist, as a teacher, can grow, can be greater. See how the church body is working together. Secondly, they had a church in their home. Romans 16.5, they had a church in their home. Big shout out to life groups right here. All right. Third, they were partners in Paul's ministry. Now, Paul is such a misogynist. Why is he partnering with a, a gal who is teaching Apollos? You see, we have an incongruity here. And by the way, this is stuff I'm learning fresh and new because I've always been taught that women are not allowed to teach in a church. But I'm finding something interesting here when you look at the lives of Priscilla and Aquila. And I've always been taught that way based off of Paul's writings on things. And so I've had to go back and re-examine. So we're going we're to break that out in a little bit. They moved for the sake of the gospel. They moved from Rome to Corinth because they were cast out under Caligula. They had to move from Corinth because of persecution to Ephesus. And they were part of that leadership team at the church of Ephesus with Timothy. And Paul had them there specifically to help. Then when that happened and there was an opportunity to move back to Rome towards the end of Paul's time, he refers to them, it's obvious that they're back in Rome again. These guys got around. They saw themselves as purposefully serving together. They were business-minded as well as ministry-minded. Now this is interesting because we're going to talk about this with the second part of the Colossians passage today. You see, they ran a business as well as ran a church in their home, as well as sacrificed for Paul, as well as served in a teaching capacity, as well as being students of the Word. They did it all. They did it all. Lastly, they are noted for saving Paul's life. We don't know how that happened. We don't know what the circumstances are around that. But pretty incredible couple, aren't they? So what do we take away? Here's your takeaway. Acts 18.26. Here's the part on Apollo. Apollos. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Hold that into your, your uh, backpack for right now. So, know your role and execute it. We've already talked about this. Wives, support and respect your husbands. Husband, love and sacrifice for your wives. Children, honor and obey, conquering over temptation. That's where we are, and then we get into today's passage. Here's your key point. Use your giftedness within that role. That the role, you, you may say, well, pastor, it seems like what's happening here is I'm being categorized as a husband. I'm not even, how's that, how's that work for Andrew? He's not married yet, so is he left out of the whole equation? No, folks, this is, this is just, he's using roles that are pretty common within society to make a larger point. And that is for the sake of unity for the church. That we might succeed in carrying out what it means to be Christ-like. Here's what we need to do. We need to follow what it is that God has set out for us. So there are roles that He has set out for us, number one, as children of God. But then you get into the specifics like out of 1 Corinthians 12, where He has gifted different individuals, and they need to be 
give an opportunity to use those giftedness or, or gift sets, right? Like, and we do it every Sunday. We've got different people working on tech this morning. We've got people that were greeting you today, and, and they were put through a, a huge pressure test where we had different kinds of people come up and be rude to them or like, like I, I can't see, what do I do, where do I go, or a person like throwing up in the corner, what do you, how do you handle that, person who's like, no, we didn't do any of that, but we do sit down and we, we talk about where's your spiritual gift set and how can we get you plugged in around here so that you can use that. Use your giftedness within the role that God has given you, all right? So know your role and execute it. Let's talk real briefly about church roles because I hinted at it, didn't I? So in Scripture, we see this. Now, I'm not even giving you my point of view. I'm giving you what we see in Scripture. So leadership in the New Testament stems from at the level that Christ involved apostles, which were his first tier of leadership, not his disciples, because there were disciples that followed Christ that were gals, but his apostles that he put the responsibility to establish the church he gave that role to men. Okay? Secondly, you can see that in Ephesians 5, um, where we see the role of the husband in the household, that you are responsible, husbands, to be the spiritual leader of your house. If you are not, she's going to step in, and she's going to have to fill in, and that's where resentment happens, and that's where lack of respect happens. Men, Fulfill your role. Fulfill your role. 1 Timothy 3 is the section on overseers or elders within the church. And as Paul speaks about this, he never mentions women. He specifically talks about men. So we just look at that. If, if we're going to follow in suit, we just follow that role and, and kind of connected with what we term the order of creation. Um, it's not the privilege... And I'll, I'll take a real brief second to explain this. When, when I was back east for a conference last year on multi-ethnic diverse churches, our whole first session was committed to complementarian versus egalitarian issues within the evangelical free church. What does that mean? Complementarian means that, that the church, um, there, there is no definition or discretion when it comes to roles. That men or women are, are open to serve in any of those roles, including pastor, including elder. And egalitarian means that, um, I think I'm getting this right, one is one and one is the other. I think egalitarian is the idea that, that it's open. Complementarian is the idea that, that, the, uh, that higher level of, of, of responsibility, that God has put that upon the men to carry out that role. And it was amazing the veracity of the first half hour of that discussion. I was kind of shocked. I, I had no idea. And we were at a church that has the only free church I know of that has a gal that is a pastor. Now, she's not the lead pastor. She's a pastor over... Um, uh, small groups, I think, and a women's ministries thing. But they recognized her role as pastorly duties. They felt like that didn't necessarily interfere with the role of authority and, and the order of, of creation kind of stuff that, that I was mentioning earlier. So ironically, that's what's happening at this church where we're at. 
but then the first half hour was anybody at that conference under the age of 30 was spitfire mad and just going after this whole thing when is the free church going to wake up when are we going to start recognizing women for their value and on and on and on and i'm just sitting here thinking what has happened first of all what's happened to make these gals feel this way and and, and i didn't know that that there's this there's this broad sense of of women within the church feeling so discriminated against and so if that's how any of you gals feel today firstly i want to apologize but you're going to hear a passage out of galatians 3 that speaks to the fact that god recognizes everybody equally male or female jew or greek slave or free in god's eyes we're all of the same value and and that's where the conversation gets a little sticky that's where it gets a little challenging and i have to tell you the thing that was disheartening was my heart went out to the obvious hurt that was there but what i was hearing from every individual that spoke up about this it was you've infringed on my rights and finally a black pastor spoke up and he just been sitting there for for a while and he says look I, I can I can sympathize with how you're hurting I get it but I think you've got the wrong idea of what the pastor is if you think that this is something to ascend to and because in certain levels you're not allowed to carry that title that you're being discriminated against and you're a lesser person or seen as a lesser person because of that. Just on that level, you're not ready to be a pastor because you don't get it. Pastorate is not something you ascend to. It's something you are called to. And it's something that just like Christ, it says Christ came to lord himself over all of the people with his authority and kingship, right? You got that verse? It's like Hezekiah 29, I think. Look it up. It's not there. It says Jesus Christ came to serve. That's the example of what it means to be a pastor and a shepherd. It's not about a power struggle in any way, shape, or form. But I can empathize with where these gals are. So... I also want you to be aware that if, you're, if you hold a, 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 a complementarian view, I, I want to encourage you that you need to know how to develop out the challenges of two women in the church. Number one, God used Deborah in the book of Judges where a man normally was functional. We don't have time to get into all that. But also you've now seen the evidences that Priscilla was involved heavily in helping train Apollos. What I want you to learn from that, go back to this. What's the first word you see? They. 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 They're a team. Does that make sense? They're a team. And this is, in essence, what Paul's talking about is roles. And we talked about it last week, that if we're in a scenario where we're on a football team and 
And the wide receiver says, I can throw the ball better than the quarterback. And they get into the huddle and he says, give me the ball. Give me the rock. I can do much better than you can do. What's going to happen to the overall team? Even if the person can throw it better, what's going to happen? You've got disunity. You've got discord. And they're not going to make it. It's the difference between the warriors and the kings. Sorry if you're a kings fan. So in teaching, we see that both men and women are able to teach. You can see the examples. First of all, 1 uh, Timothy 2.12, Paul is saying, I do not permit a woman to speak, and I don't permit her to teach. The reason Paul is saying this is he's speaking to the order, roles of creation. He's trying to emphasize that the men need to step up into these roles of authority because that's what God has asked of the men And so he's giving some instructions like you would give some specific instructions to a group of people that need that. Because this is an obvious conflict to Paul talking about Priscilla or Luke talking about Priscilla teaching Apollos. So we have to know that this has to do with specific instruction going to the church that was being set up in Ephesus. And and there's a whole lot more that goes into that. Titus 2, 1-7 speaks about the fact that Older women are to teach younger women. That older men are to teach younger men. And on and on and on it goes. It's not devaluing saying that there's nothing within women that can reach out and teach. Now I will tell you, our church's comfort level is this. This is how we practice. Is that we're complementarian. We see the roles laid out in Scripture to be of value. And that there really isn't anything that we can see or speak to that would change that. That that was God's design from the beginning from creation. That He has asked men to step up and lead. And when the man doesn't lead, because of the curse, it says her desire will be for you. That simply means this, that she will want to correct you. She will want to control the situation. Because what? Because you're not leading. Because you're not leading. But let's not say that women can't teach, because the Bible says that women can teach. When it comes to a position of authority, because I, I've read on the, on the famous internet, I read on the famous internet by a Dallas grad, a, a, an MDiv, uh, wrote a paper on all of this, and he says, I do not allow a woman to sing a solo in a church. That's where he lost me. He had me all the way up to, that was like the seventh point. He had me all the way to the seventh point. And here's his understanding, and it's based right out of our passage. Remember, speak to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. And what did we say those, those songs were consisting of? It was consisting of the gospel. That's how the early church spoke and, and sang to one another, right? So this is his idea, is that a woman can be part of an ensemble, right? Like we had Marianne, and we had, uh, we had Becky back here, and Stephen was over here. So Stephen's leading us, and these gals are helping and complimenting what we're, what's going on, what's happening. But I'll tell you, this guy would have said that there's no way that Mary Ann could lead us in worship. Because when you're singing a solo, now you become the authority figure. You become the teacher because what you're singing is actually teaching. Now let me just say, sure, I can see how he got there. But I don't agree with it. And this church doesn't agree with that. But I will tell you that what this church views is the order of creation and what God has said as far as roles is that He expects the men to lead. But he's not disqualifying women from teaching. 
hopefully that's clear and, and we understand. Serving is probably even more prevalent. That serving is not an area, by the way, Christ came to teach. How often does that, is that stated in the, in the Gospels? I mean, it's implied. We see it. He, that he, he's teaching over and over and over again. But he never proclaimed about himself per se, my goal here is to teach all of you. He did say, my goal is to what? Serve you. Now, please hear me clearly. He taught, right? There's no, there's no weirdness about that. But the idea is that we tend to put a higher exaltation on positions. That's where we mess everything up. The reality is that we believe Scripture says, our church believes that Scripture says that, that there's an order of creation and those roles are pretty well defined. And in the church, those roles work themselves out from how Christ established that leadership while He was here on earth. But there's value in every single person. All right, let's move on. So Colossians three twenty-one through 25. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So this breaks down under the following. Number one, here's your, here's your precept. Do not provoke. Do not provoke. Don't stop being the sharp end of the stick. And 2 Timothy 4.14 speaks about this where Paul's talking to Timothy and he refers back to this guy named Alexander that while he was in Ephesus, Alexander was relentless, there's your key word, okay? Relentless in trying to hurt Paul. There's a visual for you for what this word provoke means. It does not mean if your child screams out that you're being completely unfair. Uh Uh-oh, I just provoked him to anger. Let me just help you. In case you're a little fuzzy on this area, we are all going to cry unfair if we don't get what we want initially. That's not what this is speaking to. This is speaking to a consistent, prolonged, what was that R word I used? Relentless. Relentless badgering of your children that results in what? In anger. So stop being the sharp end of the stick. Dads, that's what it's saying. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's your Ephesians 5, or 6, right? That, yes, we're not to provoke them to anger, so let's just stop discipline all the way. That if my child objects, I'm just going to back off. No, then we've, we've forgotten the second part of the, the verse. But we're to raise them in discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's a, that's a whole parenting class right there. Secondly, work heartily. All right, how many of you are employed? Raise your hand. Fantastic. It was so funny. Okay, you guys raised your hand, but you didn't. But as I turned the hands, it was like the wave <laughs> as, I, as I moved over from, from right to left. So this applies to so many of us in the room, doesn't it? Work heartily. 
how many of us work heartily? And you're like, I don't even know what that means. Is that like I have to have special K, the heart health kind of thing? What, what, what is it? it means passionately. Being devoted to what you're doing. Be impressive with your work. And this is a challenge. The idea to exceed in expectation of work, Romans 12, 11, speaks to this idea as well, that we're to do this with passion in serving the Lord. Do not be lazy, is what it's saying. How are you with how you go uh, with your work? Do you go in late and leave early? If they expect you to give 40 hours a week, are you giving them 35? Now, I'll be honest with you. You know, I have to self-regulate, okay? My schedule is kind of all over the place, so I have to be really try to work at that structure because I don't have a boss looking over me on a daily basis saying, Mike's over here saying, yes, you do. I'm, I'm your boss. What are you doing today? Give me a schedule of your time. All, you know, all those things. And it's a little bit difficult and it's a little bit challenging as a pastor. I will tell you when I'm transitioning, I probably transition to eight to nine to ten different things throughout the day. All right? And in between those transitions, sometimes I'll check the angel's website. And I'll be honest with you that when I get in early in the morning or whenever I get in, based off of what my schedule is, one of the first things I do is I check Facebook. Because I love so no, I do not like social media. But I get on there because I learn what's going on in your lives. Because I am that stalker on Facebook. <laughs> but I do. I seriously learn. There's people that were in the hospital. I had no idea. And I run down to the hospital because I saw it on Facebook. So I check the Facebook when I get in. And then right before I leave, at the end of the day, I check the Facebook. So you need to know that when I'm, when I'm working, there are times where I'm taking little small... That's reasonable. When you're working, there are times you don't have to be going 110% every minute. That's not what we're talking about. It means, is your employer satisfied, pleased, thrilled with what you're doing? Because that's what Paul's talking about in order that we might take the name of Christ and present it well. Work heartily. There's the Romans 12 passage. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Next, treat justly and fairly. So this goes out to employers. Now, there are some words in this passage that we're probably uncomfortable with, and, and rightly so. Slaves and masters. Slaves and masters. Let me just tell you that about 85% of this, let me just do the transition for you. In that culture, at that time, Knowing what I know historically, not being there, but knowing what I know historically and having studied that from a couple different angles, most of the people that we're talking about here, this would be seen as employment. It's not the kind of slavery situation that we're talking about within our nation and, and what happened to those of African American descent, those who this happened with Chinese descent, those that happened with, and on and on it goes. It's, it's not that kind of slavery per se as much as it was a connected employment relationship. All right? Now, much of it, much of it was because the family were slaves, and they were always slaves. But they saw themselves as in the employment serving their master, and they were taken care of that way. The only way for me to equate that today is in this employment situation. 
So if you're in a position of being a master, you're in a position of being a boss. You're in a position of being a boss. And so what's Paul say? He says you need to treat those who are serving you justly and fairly. Show righteousness and equitability. Galatians 3.8. And I've been telling you this verse for, for two weeks now. And we're finally here. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither <clears throat> no male and female. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. This is the end of the matter, folks, when it comes to all this discretionary approach to roles. The roles are there so that the whole thing succeeds. Not because somebody needs to be partitioned because they're less than. They're not less than. And this is very specific. So who are the people that we're talking about? Well, fathers, what does a team player look like? Well, rather than being the sharp end of the stick, the best word that I can give you to help you understand is coaching. And sometimes a coach is very complimentary, very encouraging, and sometimes the coach reads the player and says, I need to put some pressure on you because you've got to get better. The expectation is you've got to get better. Right? Discipline and instruction in the Lord. Just don't provoke them to anger. You don't need to go that route. Workers, what does a team player look like? It means simply you're devoted. You're devoted to what it is you've been asked to do. And that's going to look a certain way as a result. Thirdly, bosses, what does a team player look like? Looks like leadership. Good, solid leadership. And by the way, when I use the word leadership, I'm talking about the sense of people want to follow you. Not because you've been given positional authority, but because of who you are, the choices you make, the values you exhibit, people desire to follow that. You're a person of influence because of who you are and the choices you make and how you treat people. That fits perfectly with the idea of fair and just. So coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. You've been given great tools for success today. I encourage you, evaluate where you are personally. Because this applies to everybody. You know, some of you gals, you're single and you're saying, well, wait a minute, I'm not a wife. How does this apply? Well, you fit somewhere in, in all of that. And by the way, it's not a comprehensive list. He's just giving several illustrations. Understand the precepts. That's the point, and that's why we broke it out, precept and people. Consider, are you operating within the role that God has given you? Look at that, and then think through the key point of, if I am operating in that role, am I in a position to use my giftedness so that the body runs together really well? This, in essence, is what Paul is trying to say. That when we do those things, when we function as a team like Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, however you want to say it, that we do great things and we're highly successful and we're regarded well. Let me close in prayer today. Father, we ask that you take the words, take the precepts that you have given us that are timeless, your will your personal desire for us. And help us to pray through that and to see how is it that you want us to respond. Let us do so with integrity and purposefulness. Let us leave today unified and considering the roles that we need to serve in. Thank you, Father. And we ask that you bless our offering today. Use it for your glory. Use it to 
serve others and further the gospel. Let us be an impact for the kingdom in our community. To you be the glory, Father. Amen.